Today's scripture is from Mark 2, and it's verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, and was carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, "Uh, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Uh, Great to be here with you this morning. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest here today, if we're uh, meeting for the first time right now, thanks for coming. I'm really glad that you're here. And I hope that you have already experienced and will experience real love and welcome uh, here among our church family. That incredible story that we just read, Jane, thanks for reading that so well. That that incredible story that we just read has such important things to say to us. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. To, To help warm us up for that, let me ask you a question. Uh, it's January 19th. We are nearly three weeks into the new year. Show of hands. Will anybody still admit that you made a New Year's resolution this year? Anybody make a New Year's resolution this year? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, all right. Now let me ask you a different question. Put your hands down. How many of you did not, so if you made a New Year's resolution or if you did not make a, an official New Year's resolution, but you did around the time of January 1st somewhere, think of something that you wanted to do better this year, but you didn't tell anybody about it, raise your hand. Anybody else? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, all right. Because uh, if you tell somebody and it's official, then you actually have to do it, right? And when you don't, uh, then you'll get in trouble. I'm going to share with you uh, that I kind of did the same thing, but now I'm ruining it because I'm telling other people. Uh, I had two things. And the, the first one is I wanted to start eating better this year. Uh, somehow I am still, I am a middle-aged dad who thinks I can still eat the same as my 13-year-old son. And uh, this is unwise, right? This is unwise for me. Uh, so that's one thing that I wanted to do this year. And the second one's a little more serious. Uh, For Amy and me, my wife and I, uh, this year is our 20th wedding anniversary later in the year, which is, uh, she's been putting up with me for 20 years and she deserves uh, all the credit for that. But we said to each other, uh, kind of in the first week of January or even last week of December, uh, that we wanted to try to make this the best year of our marriage yet. And if you have been married for any length of time, you know that that takes both prayer and work, right? You put two sinful human beings together in a relationship that close, or in our case, one very sinful human being and my lovely wife. Uh, And you know, it it just takes, it takes prayer uh, and it takes work. 
Whether you made a, a New Year's resolution or not, I think there is something, it illustrates how there is something about us, and it seems to me to be nearly universally true, that we are kind of addicted to hope. <laughs> like, I want this to get better. Whatever I am a part of, I don't want to settle for this. I need better than this, right? Uh, and in fact, one of the saddest things that ever happens is when a person just decides that hope is gone. Just, just despair, it'll never change, it'll never get any better. That's a, that is a broken human spirit. We are hungry for better, right? Here's, here's what I want to talk to you about today. What I'm interested in knowing and what I definitely need and to experience in my own life, and if I'm ever going to share anything with anybody else, the thing that I want to be able to share is, is this. What, what is that hope like and where does that hope come from when the thing that needs to get better, when the problem that needs to get solved, when the hill that needs to get climbed is just frankly bigger than I am? When I just can't do it, it's, it's more powerful than I am, then I need to know where does hope come from in that situation, right? I want to know also, and maybe this is just another way of saying the same thing from a little different angle, is I really need to know for myself, and I really want to talk to you today about what is the hope and where does the hope come from when not only is the problem bigger than I am, but the problem is me, right? When when the challenge that I'm trying to overcome, when what needs to get better in life is not just something out there, but it's something in here, then where is the resource that provides hope in that situation? And of course, I'm thinking about this today. It's not a coincidence that the story that we just read today has an awful lot to say to exactly that situation in our lives. And I think not only this example from the life that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, but I think very much the way that we continue to experience, the way that I, we, and many others have experienced the ongoing work of Jesus alive in our lives today is very much about the same thing. Bringing hope into those circumstances when the problems are just bigger than we are and when the problem is us. Let Let me try to now explain what I mean by this. When this story started, right, it starts off with this kind of dramatic scene. This huge crowd has gathered together to hear Jesus. The story says that Jesus has come back home to Capernaum. And some scholars think that Jesus has come to his own house, actually, that he's like in his own house. Did you ever think of Jesus having a house? Like, I've spent most of my life not thinking that. And that might not be right. It might just mean that he came to his own hometown. But it's kind of provocative to think about this being Jesus' own house that somebody dug a hole in the roof of, right? Right. Jesus has been, right before this scene, he's been out in the other towns and villages of this region that's called Galilee. It's the northern part of Israel. He's been in like Bethsaida and Nazareth and Magdala, these other towns, healing sick people, driving out evil spirits, evil forces, spiritual forces from our lives, teaching them about God. And a whole crowd has now come to hear Jesus. And I think the reason for that is this. They believe that there is hope and healing in Jesus. They, they have come hoping, perhaps, hungering to find hope and healing in Jesus. I find myself wondering something. I wonder if how many of them heard about it from the leper. Now, you might go like, who's the leper? <laughs> so last week, we read uh, a number of stories, some episodes from Jesus' life, and he healed a guy who had a skin disease, could have been one of several different skin diseases that all go by a similar name, leprosy, a, a contagious, painful, visible, ostracizing kind of disease. And Jesus did a work of miraculous. He, did, he brought a physical healing into his life. And he said, now go to the temple, go show yourself to the priest so you're welcome back there again, right? But other than that, don't tell anybody else right now, okay? And then this guy, he exercises radical disobedience to Jesus. 
And he goes and he tells everybody that he can find about this. I actually marked my Bible so I could read the one verse to you before this. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result of that, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I think that kind of does explain why these crowds were coming to Jesus. They believed there was hope and there was healing in him because they heard about it happening in somebody else's life, right? And I think maybe they had also heard the things that Jesus was saying in their synagogues. We know that he went Saturday by Saturday, Sabbath day by Sabbath day to the synagogues, teaching about God, teaching about the kingdom of God, announcing to them that God is bringing to bear a new era. God is doing a new thing. He is bringing his saving power for now and for forever into now. And this brought hope to people's hearts and minds and communities, and a whole crowd gathered because they believed there was hope and there was healing in Jesus, even when it wasn't anywhere else, right? Even when the problems that we've been trying to fix them for years and they're not going away, even when it's inside of me, there is hope and there is healing in him. And I will tell you, this has been my experience, that there is hope and there is healing in Jesus. I've seen it in lots of ways. When I talk about my own personal experience, when I, when I brought my insecurities, when I brought my anxieties, when I brought the the shames of my failures and my weaknesses to Jesus, the things that drive in me all kinds of unhelpful behaviors, all kinds of relational patterns that are destructive, all kinds of defensiveness, when I brought those wounds to Jesus, he began to do a remarkable work of healing in my heart, in my soul. And I mean, if you think I'm a jerk now, you should have seen me before that. I mean, he did incredible healing in me. When I bring to Jesus the, the instincts that are in my mind and my heart, maybe especially when something ticks me off, when, when I get punched in the mouth, not usually literally, please, but even metaphorically, when I see something that's wrong and it upsets me, I have instincts that usually are vengeful and vindictive and I get loud and I yell at the refs and I do all kind of stuff like that. And when I bring those things to Jesus, it's he who can change the reactions in me. He's done healing in me and given me hope that I could be something different than the trajectory that I am normally on. I share with you, this is my experience. I know many of you know the same thing in your life. And I know that we as a community have and continue to experience the same thing together. We believe there is hope and there is healing in him. And I think that's why we even crowd into his house now, right? Because we know that we can come to this place. And for one thing, we can finally take off the mask that we wear the other 167 hours of the week where we pretend to have it all together and be this cool person and be this impressive person and be this organized, successful person. And we know that we can come into the house of Jesus and finally, for goodness sake, tell God and ourselves the truth about ourselves, that the darkness is in here, that the brokenness and the failures are in here, that the problems are in here, that we don't have it all together. And we know that we, we've developed the confidence that we can bring that to the Lord Jesus and that what we are going to hear from him in response is the word of his grace and forgiveness, his welcome and belonging into the family of God. The reason that we crowd into the house of Jesus is because there is hope and there is healing in him. That's why I'm here. There is hope and there is healing in Jesus. Second thing that I learn in this story and that I've learned from my experience in walking with the Lord and so have many of us is this. That sometimes our friends have to carry us, don't they? Sometimes our friends have to carry us. 
I mean, in the story, you see it so plainly. There's a guy who's physically, literally paralyzed, and he cannot get to the place where Jesus is. And even if he could get up and get there, the crowds are blocking the entrance, right? So he's got four friends who love him and care about him and are willing to invest their time and energy and maybe a little bit of their reputation in him. And they pick him up, and they carry him to the place where Jesus is, and they get there, and they can't get inside the house because of the crowd. Sometimes there are real barriers between us and Jesus, aren't there? I mean, could be physical barriers, could be uh, language barriers sometimes, could be barriers in our own hearts that we're just not willing or we're just afraid or something, and our friends might carry us. These friends, they carry Jesus behind the house, up onto the roof of the house. They have the temerity, the urgency, the desperation to dig a hole in the roof of the house to bring their buddy to Jesus and lower him down into his presence so that he'll get to experience the hope and the healing that comes from him. There's sometimes our friends have to carry us. Probably the times in my life where I think I have seen this functioning the most frequently have been in those, sometimes in in, in friendships, in informal friendships, and sometimes in those environments that most churches call small groups or life groups or growth groups or cell groups or whatever we call them over the years. In these environments where people carry one another to Jesus, and I mean, I could probably keep here all day telling stories about the ways that I've seen this happen in vulnerable, open, caring relationships. One that comes to mind for me from the last few years of, of my life is thinking about a, a group, sometimes men's group, family groups, whatever. I mean, this one was a, a group that my family and I were in together. And I remember a little bit younger family, younger couple, younger kids had reached a point in their marriage, uh, reached a level of crisis, reached a level of woundedness that each of them experienced individually and had really begun to bring on one another. They'd hurt one another badly. And I remember them coming to the group in this state of brokenness, in this state of pain. And they were willing to take the mask off and, and tell the truth. And I just watched these, this whole community of other broken, imperfect people just rally around them in such loving and gracious and sacrificial ways. And they just carried them to Jesus and this couple was willing to be vulnerable enough to be carried, right? I mean, to tell the truth. And, and what I saw, and, and, and to open their lives to one another, and we had shared some life together, so there was some, some trust that was built. But I, I just think that what I saw, frankly, was the Lord Jesus softening their hearts toward one another and doing a work that I would say was a miraculous act of healing in their hearts and their relationship and our community together. It is just the truth that sometimes our friends have to carry us to the place where the hope and the healing is. I, I could tell you more and more stories from my own experience, but let me show you a story uh, of uh, some people in our own church community here at UALC experiencing this. I have a suspicion that some of you are going to recognize some faces in this story.
I feel like I'm someone who has been waving the banner of Christian community for years in my life, but the reason that I'm such a huge believer in the power of Christian community is just because of the things that I learned from the life of Jesus then and now, that there is hope and healing in him, and sometimes we have to carry one another to him. All right, the last thing that I want to share with you, learning from this story, uh, and it's one that I'm really still kind of sorting out, and you're going to hear me thinking out loud with you. We can try to learn from the Lord and from, the, from his word together today. It's this. Jesus creates a community of forgiveness. Jesus creates a community of forgiveness. Let me say something quickly about forgiveness first. I think we're bad at forgiveness, like people in general. And I don't necessarily mean that we're bad at forgiving other people when they hurt us, though that can be very, very hard. But I mean, I think we're almost resistant to experiencing forgiveness. It's, it's so much easier to settle for one of two cheap alternatives to forgiveness. And the first one is like underestimation and rationalization. It's not really all that bad. I'm not all that bad. It's not a big deal. I'm not as bad as that person over there. We just sort of live, I mean, I keep saying mask. We kind of live with the mask on and pretend that everything is okay. Or on the other hand, every once in a while, something happens and it breaks through the veneer. It breaks through the veil that we're living behind and we see just how deep the darkness is inside of us. And we get a look at how we hurt other people. We get a look at how much we've been disobedient to God. We get a look at the crushing weight of our own brokenness and sin. And then we go, oh my gosh, I'm an awful human being, right? 
And we, I think we oscillate. We swing the pendulum back and forth between these two different things. And both of them are a lie compared to the truth of the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. The first one is a lie that it's not actually all that big of a deal. It sure is, actually, when we disobey the God of the universe and hurt his other precious children, right? It's a big deal. The other lie is that Jesus' forgiveness and power is not big enough to forgive us and restore us from it. That's also a lie. The truth of forgiveness is that we are way more sinful than we usually dare to contemplate and definitely way more loved than we can ever dare to imagine. Both of these things are true at the same time. Thank God for the truth of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. And Jesus' forgiveness, I believe, creates a community of forgiveness. Here's what I'm learning and I want to think with you about and why I think this is so important. It's, it, here's what happens in the story. Jesus says to this one guy, to this, this man who's lowered down in front of him, son, your sins are forgiven. And I think if we had been there that day, we might have been forgiven for elbowing Jesus in the ribs and going, Jesus, not the most pressing need right now, right? I mean, he's paralyzed right in front of you. But Jesus has a way of seeing in people both the spiritual and the physical needs at the same time. And it's so frustrating to me how prone we are to dividing those things, either spiritual needs or physical needs. Jesus sees them in social needs. Jesus sees them all together, right? But he says your sins are forgiven, and then the next thing that happens is Jesus calls to follow him a tax collector named Levi, and pretty soon there's a whole dinner table full of all of Levi's buddies who the Bible refers to as tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus has created a forgiving community of forgiven sinners, He's created a a community of forgiveness. And here's why I think this is significant. Because when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives, on the one hand, that's a real thing. It is a life-transformative thing. But when we experience it, I think we will often experience it as either a mindset or as a mood, right? And both of those are terribly important. It's important to understand, and I hope it's also important that we would feel the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives. The problem is simply this. Minds and moods change rapidly, right? We start to wonder, am I really forgiven? How does this work? Could he actually forgive me? I don't really feel forgiven right now. And in that time, do we really want our reception or experience of Jesus' forgiveness to be that unstable? And I think when we are rooted in a community that receives and practices and experiences the forgiveness of Jesus together, it becomes a more stable thing. So we come together in worship, right? And we are welcomed into the family of God. Christians all around the world and for 2,000 years have been welcomed into the family of God through a a visible, physical thing called baptism. The sign of God's washing and rebirth into the family of God. And we go, I don't know if I belong. I don't know if that's for me. Other people be like, no, seriously, I was there. I saw it. It actually happened. You've been welcomed into the family of God. We gather on a regular basis around the table of the Lord. And we kind of rub shoulders together. We come forward. We, we eat and we drink. And we have a physical experience that reminds us, not just in our thoughts or in our emotions, but in the embodied experience of the community, I'm actually welcome at the dinner table in the family of God. We come to worship together, and we pray together, and we sing together. We gather together and pray together in our living rooms, and it is just sort of pressed into us in a deep and shared and communal way that we are not only a people who might understand or might feel forgiveness, but we're part of a community of people who walk this out together. We are a, we are a not only are we a community of disciples of Jesus who happen to gather together in the same airspace at one time, but we are a community discipled together to Jesus, right? 
And I think that creates a, 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 another stable, solid way that we experience the hope and healing of Jesus as we carry one another together to him. So here's what I want to do. I just want to ask, I'm going to finish this, this time of us reflecting together on God's word with a prayer, a shared corporate prayer in community together. And I'll just pray for us as we come to Jesus together. And I want to acknowledge that it, it may not even be all of our individual experiences that there is hope and healing from Jesus in our lives. Maybe that's something that you feel like you've been looking at from the outside. Or that the forgiveness of Jesus is real in your life. And that if you bring him the truth about yourself, that he will love you and welcome you into his family anyway. If that's not your experience, I just want to tell you, it doesn't have to stay that way. (laughs) We can all crowd together into his house and all come to him and receive that from him today. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I hope that you, in your heart and mind, will pray along with me. And at the end of that prayer, I'll just take a brief moment and remind you of the good words that Jesus speaks to all of us. So let's, let's bow our heads and hearts before God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we, we need you. I, I recognize we don't deserve you, but we need you. And we have come together here into your house today and It may even be that our friends have brought us to you here today, but here we are. And we pray that you would bring a mighty work of your hope and healing into our lives. We want better. We need better. We want to follow you. We want the life that you give us. And we've lived such a different life than that, and we keep doing it. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for the ways that we fail to trust you. Forgive us for the ways that we keep thinking that life and joy and happiness is to be found somewhere else. We're so stubborn. I'm so stubborn. Forgive us for the ways that we sin against one another and break fellowship and community, that we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, but love ourselves more. Jesus, forgive us. I pray that you would pour out your very presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit into our lives to heal us and restore us and to build us up together as your people to build us up together as your people in your presence and your grace and your power in such a way that other people might even look not at us but at you in us and say something amazing has happened here. Nothing like this has ever happened before, not because of us, but simply because of you. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let, let, me, let me just say this to you before I walk away. And it's just simply the things that are written down in the scriptures that Jesus said to the people in his life. Brothers and sisters, your sins are forgiven. And so, therefore, please rise. Literally stand up right now. Go ahead and stand up. Let us rise and walk as the scriptures teach us to walk in the Holy Spirit in the newness of life now and forever. We rise together as the people of God and sing our praises to the one who saves us. Amen.